We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. O'Seo Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. And today we got a special guest, Joe Valerio. Former Chiefs offensive lineman, now covering the Chiefs for Believe in Chiefs podcast. Joe, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background coming up in football? I know you had a little cup of coffee, or some might call it in our area, we'll call it coffee. That's the New York, New Jersey accent coming out with the New York Giants as you came up, and now you're covering the Chiefs. So tell us a little bit about your background in the NFL and what you're doing now. Oh, great, Nick and Dan. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me. Uh, you know, yes, I do cover the Chiefs on the Believe in Chiefs uh, podcast and the Believe Podcast Network, um, but I am a Philly guy. Uh, grew up in Philadelphia, went to college in Philadelphia, moved back to Philadelphia after my my time in Kansas City. And so, you know, I'm an East Coast guy. I'm an, I'm an NFC East guy. So, you know, I, I know the NFC East inside and out. I'm still, you know, Boo, boo! Uh, your Giants fans are going to boo me on this. I'm still a huge Eagles fan, having grown up here in Philadelphia. But yeah, my my cup of coffee with the Giants was interesting. I it was actually the first uh, NFL team that I worked out for in college. Uh, when when scouts at that time, back in the in the 90s, were allowed to come down to your school and work you out. 
I actually was offered a chance to come up pre-draft um, uh, in between the combine and the draft to come up to to New York and, and spend some time at Giants stadiums with, with then uh, Terry Bradway, who was your uh, your Giants uh, scouting director. And then he went on to Kansas City, become head of college scouting and, and head of pro scouting. And then he went to become the, the general manager of the Jets. And, um, you know, so, yes, yeah, so I get to spend some time in Giants Stadium, which was huge. I left with some swag and, you know, that I still have today. Okay. So I, I left with some shorts and T-shirts and things. And, uh, you know, it was a really, really exciting trip for me going up 95 you know, being in Giant Stadium, having grown up on the East Coast, and you know, to get a chance to to do that as a as a kid coming out of Penn was really exciting and helped me help launch uh, help help me launch onto my you know my NFL career, which is really cool. That's pretty awesome, Joe. And I kind of wanted to start with you uh, on the offensive line because it's not only your you know area of expertise; it's believe it or not, you're you're talking to the only fan base that is more in, that is so interested in the offensive line. Like I've never seen a fan base like the Giants that understands how important offensive line play is, is always interested. It's partially because they've had a decade, maybe longer now, of just unbelievably inept offensive line play, despite two different GMs trying to fix it. This last GM, this current GM, Dave Gettleman, came in four years ago, said, my number one priority is going to be to fix the offensive line. And yet still, he's now, last year they were the worst in the NFL. This year, they're probably the worst, if not the second worst. So it's been a long run. And I kind of wanted to talk to you first about the Chiefs offensive line, though, the team you cover, because they they received a lot of credit this offseason for what they did to try to fix their offensive line. Anyone who has two sets of eyes, who has a set of eyes, I should say, was able to see that the Chiefs, a big reason the Chiefs lost the Super Bowl last year was because they had the injuries on the offensive line and they didn't have good offensive line play against a really aggressive coordinator and Todd Bowles. So this year, what do they do? They sign, you know, Joe Thune to the biggest contract for interior offensive linemen. They trade for Orlando Brown Jr. They, um, draft now and forget or Trey Smith, a, a guy who every single Giants fan wanted them to take a swing on on day three. And yet it feels like right now the Chiefs offensive line hasn't been as dominant as I expected them to be. So what would you kind of attest the or what would you attest to the kind of struggles right now in the offensive line? I'm not saying they're the worst in the league and they're struggling anywhere near the Giants, Joe, but they haven't been what I expected them to be. And what do you think is kind of the reason for that right now? No, that's a those are great points, and my God, there's a lot to unpack there, right? Because there's a lot of parallels to what is happening right now to the Giants' offensive line that happened to the Chiefs at the end of the season, right? It comes down to chemistry and health. And having a group of of guys out there up front that know how to block together. There are so many subtle things that go into offensive line play that sometimes fans lose sight of, you know, as they're eyeing up quarterbacks as they're watching receiver routes, as they're looking at defensive plays and big sacks and big hits in the defensive backfield, you know, big one-handed catches, you know, up over defensive backs. Like that's the really like sexy part of football, right? But, you know, there is so much chemistry and so much teamwork that goes on up front with those five guys and the way they have to block, uh, you know, not only some who, what I think is probably the toughest position to block in the NFL right now, and that's defensive tackles. I mean, when I, when I think about the defensive tackles and, and I think it's the position in football that has changed the most dramatically over the last 25 to 30 years, when you're talking about six foot three, six foot four, 250, 350, sorry, let me put it, let me put another hundred on there, 350 pound, you know, defensive tackles who, by the way, oh, they're also running four sevens and four sixes. Like what the hell do you expect to block somebody like that? Right. So so like what's happening, you know, in, on the offensive line fronts is there's so many combo blocks, so much zone blocking that has to go on and getting hips together and meshing 
And then you, you throw the stunts in there. You throw in the athletic linebackers that are rushing around the corner. Like it's a plethora of things that offensive line coaches and offensive linemen have to deal with. And so I just wanted to preface the whole con, you know, concept and talk about, about offensive line play and how hard it is to get five guys to play together. Cause on every single play, there is somebody working with your, your buddy, as we used to call it, right? It's whether it's the tackle and the guard working together, whether it's the guard in the center, you know, it, 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 with tight ends get into that mix occasionally. And so there, there's very, very few plays where you're on an island on offensive line play. Usually it's the left tackle, you know, who's usually your best pass protector, who's got to, you know, block that one defensive end, you know, one-on-one. And, and I think what the Chiefs did in the offseason was, you know, we were all really excited about it. as Chiefs fans and people who cover. We were, we were super excited about Joe Tooney. You know, I, I, I knew that um, Creed Humphrey was going to be really good. You know, Trey Smith's been a real diamond in the rough. But, you know, he is, I think, of all of them, he's, he's the one I'm really, I get the most excited about watching. Now, he had a couple of uh, what I would call lookout blocks in the last game you know, that the Chiefs lost, uh, you know, to the Titans where, you know, we call that a lookout block when when you get beat so badly, you have to turn around and yell at the quarterback lookout. Um, <laughs> don't know if you've ever heard that expression before. But, you know, he had a couple lookout blocks and so did Orlando Brown. Like the Chiefs picked a really bad game to play bad, poorly up front because the Titans were only rushing four. And and that was what that was what really surprised me the most. The Chiefs offensive line was actually better when they were under all this pressure corner blitzes, linebackers dogging up the middle, like what the heck's going on? They're picking all this stuff up. They're playing well. Then they go against this four, uh, four guy rush and they're getting beat like one-on-one. I'm like, what is happening? Like, you know, and, and I, I think they've, they've made some strides up front. I mean, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, guys, the chiefs have 10 starters on their offensive line. Now, granted Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith and Lucas Niang, you know, are rookies in essence, Lucas Yang, you know, having take, taken that COVID year off, but he's in essence a rookie. So they started the season with three rookies, right? You got Joe Tooney, you know, biggest line contract of the year, Orlando Brown, huge trade, right? Massive player. You had Mike Remmers, Nick Allegretti, Austin Blythe, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who took the year off to, you know, be a doctor in Canada, but he was a starter on the Super Bowl team. And then you, you had, um, you got Kyle Long and Andrew Wiley. So really you had like 12 players on the offensive line who have started at least a season, which is really unheard of where you, where you get that much depth. But that was Brett Beach's deal. We are going to rebuild this offensive line. We are not going to let happen what happened in the Super Bowl. And if one piece goes down, we're going to fill in another one. And that's what they're doing right now with Lucas Nyang, right at right tackle and, and bringing Mike Remmers back in. He's a veteran voice out there. He's got, you know, he's got championship DNA. And so, you know, I think I think that was the big reason there. I, I you know, having watched this offensive line, and I'm really not disagreeing with you, this Chiefs offensive line. I, I actually, up until this last game against the Titans. Given that they were five new starters and three rookies up until they replaced Niang with Remmers, I was give, I was actually giving their offensive line a, a, like a B plus or an A minus for where they were because they were protecting Patrick. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was making way; he was making his way in the ground game. He's hurt, obviously. Now with Daryl Williams, they're, they're they're finding some ways to make holes for those guys when when they can. My biggest concern with the Chiefs, and not to talk about the Chiefs, this is Giants podcast, but you know, you're playing the Chiefs this week. I think the the thing that, that has really been if I had if I was going up the elevator with somebody and, and we were going three stories and they said, Tell me about what's wrong with the Chiefs, and I had to give my story in a three-story elevator ride, I'd say Patrick Mahomes 
has no confidence in the defense. Therefore, he is pressing to stay on the field and it's causing him to play outside of his game and it's and it's causing causing him to force a lot of errors. To me, that's how I sum this team up in a nutshell. This is a defensive problem. And the defensive problems have have been so pervasive that are, they're affecting the offense. Well, I was going to say, I mean, one thing that really stood out to me, I think you're right. I think, you know, I think Lori Fitzpatrick, who does a great job breaking down film, uh, she did a piece this week on exactly what you just said, literally, that he's pressing because he doesn't trust his defense right now. And that brings to a whole nother, you know, topic of discussion, which is Spag's defense. And, you know, it seems like the places he's been, he's obviously, you know, well near and dear to Giants fans' hearts, but he's not to warn, not to say he's worn out as welcome, but his system has been not figured out, but it's been adjusted to pretty much every stop, every step of the way. It's very man heavy and it's very blitz heavy. But I wanted to touch a little bit more on one thing you said, and you said you were really excited about Trey Smith. And I wanted to talk specifically more about him because although Nick, for example, was a huge fan of Creed Humphrey, I don't feel like the Giants were ever in a position to get Creed Humphrey, but mm-hmm. they were in a position to get Trey Smith. They were in multiple positions to get Trey Smith. We talked about him a lot on the Big Blue Banter podcast before the draft. He kept falling in the draft. We know there was the medical issue, but so far that hasn't really popped up just yet. And so my question for you is what, as somebody who's played the position and can you know evaluate it from that standpoint, what has you so excited about Trey Smith and his future with the Chiefs? His ability to finish. He, 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 the play is never over for Trey Smith. Um, and you know, when, when you're looking at players like that and you're bringing in a rookie to start, I mean, guard is the place you want to do it, right? Because you got bumpers and guardrails, right? Um, you've got two guys on either side of you to help protect you against, you know, the big rush. I mean, yeah, granted I did, you know, kind of take note that in the Titans game, Trey, got beat a couple of times one-on-one, but for the most part, you know, you've got some protection on either side of you. So that's where you see a lot of players really flourish, right? Especially in offensive line is they'll throw those rookies in at guard because you can, you know, if you got somebody with the size of a Trey Smith, six, five, he's probably a biscuit away from three forty, right? They have him listed at three twenty-nine. He's, he's enormous. He's muscular. He's, he's got all the right uh, measurables and everything. And, with, with what you want against some to match up against some of these defensive tackles that are out there. Um, I just, I just think he was, a, I think he's a great matchup player um, for their, for their offense. He's athletic. Um, he, he, you know, Tennessee fantastic pass blocker um, and he's, and they want, and they wanted some beef in the run game. You know, they, the chiefs needed to, you know, Laurent Duvernay Tardif is, is sort of a technique type player. Um, and you know, some of the, some of the players that they had at playing guard in the past were more technique focused. And I think that's why Tooney and Smith were, were such a good addition at, at guard because they're mashers, man. They're like, they just get in your face and just start pushing. So anyway, long story, long question, long answer to a short question. He finishes. And that's what I love about him. He never gives up on a play. He knows how to get to the next level and he's a heck of a combo blocker. He drives his hips into Creed Humphrey's hips when they're doing guard center combos. They just drive those hips together and they almost become one unit. And, and that's what I think is, has really helped, uh, you know, the Chiefs kind of solidify the inside of the um, in the run game and why they've been able to run the ball up the middle a little bit more than they have in the past. I think that's exactly what we were expecting to get from Will Hernandez when the Giants invested the 34th overall pick in him in 2018. But unfortunately, it hasn't been. And it's cool that the Chiefs have been able to accomplish that, you know, with a lesser, you know, not using as much draft capital. But it's good to hear that he's doing well. He's someone we liked a lot and hopefully he can continue. But not this week against the Giants. Yeah, right. Exactly. This week, a lot lot more Olay blocks, right? You want a lot more Olay blocks this week. 
I'd uh, love to hear a good ace block right there from uh, Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey. But Joe, I know you're pressing on time, so I have to ask you, and I know you kind of referenced the struggles from Patrick Mahomes being him trying to overcompensate for a weaker defense, but it seems like opposing defenses are also doing something to throw him off his game. If there's any chance of the Giants winning this football game, I think it has to be from the defensive effort, similar to how they beat Carolina, only it's going to have to be a totally different game plan because game planning for Sam Darnold and Patrick Mahomes are two totally different things. How do the Giants get the best of Patrick Mahomes in this matchup, in your opinion, at Arrowhead? Rush four. I mean, I think that's the key is rush for, you know, Patrick, I've been saying this for a long time, um, Patrick, especially and, and knowing what, what I can see of, of, of what happens with the blocking schemes that, 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 that you know, Andy Heck and Eric Bieniemy on the Chiefs put forth, you know, when, when Patrick is under pressure and there's, you know, um, the, the, the missiles are firing around them and the defensive ends are rushing up the field and they're trying to stunt in the middle to create a mismatch or to get, you know, to get the mesh off between the centers and guards to create an open lane to the quarterback. To me, that's the worst kind of pass rush against Patrick. He's too good. He's too, he's too athletic. He's too smart. And, and for him, the, the game is going to, this is going to sound like the craziest analogy you guys have ever probably heard, but I watched this National Geographic show one time on insects and it was it happened to be on on the like the common housefly. And what happens is why we can't kill houseflies with our our hands is because their their metabolism is so fast that they see everything in slow motion. Like you're just happening to them in slow motion, right? That's what happens with Patrick Mahomes on the field. Everything else is happening in slow motion and the great ones it's slower motion than the good ones. And when the game happens too fast, you know, you start making these decisions. And Patrick Mahomes, when it comes to pass rush, everything is slowed down for him. If you watch, go back and historically watch his biggest successful plays, it's always him finding a pocket within the pocket, right? So blitz comes, you know, you try a stunt in the middle with the two tackles crossing, you rush your ends up the field to try to, you know, capture the corner. All Patrick's going to do is step up, find an open space, Go parallel to the line of scrimmage, give Kelsey, Hill, Pringle, whoever, give them another second to get open using their speed, and then bam, he's gonna find he's gonna find and make the accurate throw, because that's what he does. If you can keep him from doing that, then that's where they're gonna win. It, it's it's because he's a he's a drop back quarterback. You know, they don't the, the Giants don't have to fear him running like Lamar Jackson or even a Josh Allen for that matter. He's a good runner. But he's not a running quarterback. He gets some yards because he's smart and he finds, you know, he will find a little bit of an open field occasionally. But if you can actually keep him in the pocket, so I call it a mush rush. Like I say, like if you just like mush the rush up the field and just kind of march like an old school revolutionary army and you just move the rush up the field and don't give him that pocket within a pocket, if, if you, you know, you or your listeners can visualize. Patrick like finding that space between the guard and the tackle and he steps up and then he slides to his right. He starts running. He starts scrambling. That's when it's disaster for the defense. Keep seven back there. Cover the heck out of those receivers. Only rush four. Keep Patrick in the pocket, which is you know easier said than done. I think that's how teams win. That's what the Titans did. I think they need to mirror you know, what the game plan was that the Titans, uh, what the Titans had. Because I mean, Titans defensive line is okay. I mean, they're not great, and they 
gave Patrick all kinds of trouble because they didn't allow him to, to, to escape the pocket, keep him in the pocket is what I'm saying. That's, that's my, my two second analysis there. I think that's a good analysis, Joe. And I know you're kind of strapped on time, but there no, were a couple six more minutes. Okay. Okay. Joe, thank you. There was one important question I really wanted to ask you on this podcast that I have to ask you because You've played the position, so you actually can give us insight. And that's all we want as Giants fans. We just want to figure out a route for developing a workable offensive line because it's been over a decade. They tried all sorts of things here, and it's still killing this franchise. So my question for you is this. I've heard along the along the way from different analysts that in football, it's more important to not have a weak link on your offensive line than having an elite player right now the giants have a minimum of two likely three weak links every time they set on field each game last week for example the giants had to come up with some game plan where they double chipped on six third downs they moved the pocket on 16 plays like this is not a long-term sustainable way to win football games but would you agree with that statement that the weak not having a weak link on your offensive line is actually more important than having the elite players Oh yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, I don't know if you've ever read the book or if any of your listeners have ever read the book called the numbers game. It's, it's the, it's the money ball of, you know, European football or soccer as you know, we call it here in the U S and they talk about that. They talk about sports being weak link sports. Basketball is a strong link sport, right? You get two guys on, 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 on your basketball team who can ball, you're going to win games, right? You know, LeBron, whomever, you get another player to support LeBron and he can bring the ball from one baseline to the next baseline and put the ball in the basket without ever passing. That's a strong link sport. You know, football's a weak link sport. Soccer's a weak link sport. It takes 10 passes to get the ball to your Messi's and your Ronaldo's, right? And and, right. and your Pele's. Like, offensive line play is a weak link sport. You, you're better off having five good solid players than you are going out and signing you know the all pro left tackle of all left tackles right anthony munoz's son who you know yeah. is as good as he is right it, it, but having like four mediocre to poor like that's like a that's a recipe for disaster so what i would say is it, it, it that makes offensive line play a weakling sport and it plays right into that that book that i was referencing and that's what happens when you do, Here's a perfect example. East Coast team we're all probably familiar with, the Patriots. I want you to go back to those Brady-era teams, okay, the six whatever Super Bowls they won, right, with Brady there before he went to Tampa. Tell me some of the offensive linemen that were on that group, right? Yeah. How many of your fans could go, oh, yeah, this guy, this guy? I can't even. And I you know, I know some of those guys. Like, I, all in one I remember is Max Lane. And, and he was, uh, only reason I knew him was because he, he went to Navy and he was a good friend of, of a buddy of mine. Like, I can't even remember any of those, those players, to be honest. And it's yeah. no offense to them. It's just, that's not what they were about. They were about getting five guys who were going to give Brady the pocket he needed, be able to run block as a unit, as a team, because it's such a team sport up front. You know, it's, it's the, it's the most important unit on the field when it comes to having five guys meshing together and playing well together and having, and that's what you're not, that's what you don't have. Like, you know, I'm looking back at the, at the roster, you know, where this, this giants offensive line was supposed to start, right. With Parrott, Hernandez, Gates, Lemieux, Thomas looked pretty good. I mean, it was like, right. I'm reading about them. I'm looking, I'm saying this, that's a pretty solid line. You got Solder in the mix there. He's a proven commodity. Next thing you know, you know, fracture to Gates, surgery for Lemieux, Thomas on IR, right? And then all of a sudden you're going, oh my God, like Salter's the Salter is, you know, 
playing right tackle, which is kind of where he started. But Parrott, who was supposed to be the starting right tackle, is now at left, which is a that's a that's a whole podcast unto itself. How you have a player go from left tackle to right tackle and back and vice versa, you know. And then and then so like Hernandez is really the only person that went into this thing at the starting position that he was meant to start. That is that's a recipe for disaster. And and I just I feel for I feel for you know the offensive coordinator of the Giants and I feel for the running backs and and the quarterback because that's like. You know, I go back to those Giants era teams. Oh my God, Jumbo Elliott, William Roberts, Bart Oates, Riesenberg. Holy cow, my God, they were solid up and down the line. I mean, that was that's some great, you know, Bob Kratz. I mean, oh my God, right? Uh, you know, just some of those players that 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 were on that those lines, and I just think, oh man, you know, what what a shame to to go from those kind of you know solid citizens to having like this mishmash of like who's going to play where. Um, it's you know it's it's crazy. That's 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 really hard to do. Yeah, it really is. Hopefully they can find a solution to fix this offensive line at some point. Joe, we know you're you're close on time, so thank you so much for joining the show today. It was really great to hear your perspective on offensive line play again. Oh, that's the Dan, key for this Giants franchise. We all know it. It is. You win it up. You win it up front, guys. You win it up front. So, but thanks for having me on. I think it's going to be you know it's going to be an interesting game to watch this Chiefs team try to unload some of the baggage that they're carrying right now because they are not playing well. And, uh, you know, I know that, I know that Andy Reid gets an extra day to prepare and it's, he's always tough, you know, when he gets an extra day. So I think the giants fans are going to probably see some things out of this team that they maybe, maybe weren't hoping for, you know, kind of hoping they came in six and oh, right. Wouldn't that have been nice? You know, they come in, you know, with a, with a, you know, maybe 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 not having to really you know take it out on somebody because i think they're gonna you're gonna be they're gonna be looking to take it out on somebody and you know it's, it's gonna be interesting to see how the the giants can react to that all right joe one last thing tell everybody where they can find your work and where they can find the podcast oh sure uh any any of the uh you know uh, where podcasts are broadcast uh, apple spotify stitcher uh you can find us online believe in chiefs it's b-l-e-a-v uh, i'm at joe valerio 73 my nfl number and uh, you know, so I, I do some tweeting here and there and, um, yeah, it's where you can find me. And I spend my days, uh, in the insurance brokerage world. So, uh, this is a great uh, outlet for me to share some of this knowledge. But my folks, at the, coming on, folks, Joe. folks at the office don't like to talk about football every day. Like <laughs> yeah. I do. <laughs> no, thanks again, Dan and Nick. It was great, bud. You guys have a great one. Have fun this week or Monday night, I should say. Yep. Take care, Joe. You got it. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So it was really interesting hearing Joe's take. I think it confirmed a lot of what we thought regarding offensive line play, Nick, and that's you know, you just need to find a way to not have weak links on this offensive line. How did the Giants do that? That's less, you know, easy to figure out because they did invest the 34th overall pick in Will Hernandez. And I would consider him at this point still a borderline weak link for this team. I mean, Joe said it best. He's like, you don't want to have one all pro and a bunch of average to below average players. I would say at this stage, Hernandez is basically average to below average. It's not really fair to say he's average. Uh, at least, I mean, some from what I've seen, I mean, last week's film, for example, there was basically like three bad plays for every one good play for Hernandez. And when that's the ratio, I just don't think it's fair to say average. I think we've set a lower bar for average because we've seen so much subpar play, you know, Lemieux and pass pro last year, everything we've seen from left guard this year, everything we've seen from soldier this year, Billy Price this year, there's so much sub, sub, subpar that we kind of set a lower bar for what average is, but that's not average, and it's it's been really tough for the Giants to find average offensive line play. I think they were finally getting 
good offensive line play, like above average from the left tackle position this year for a three, four game stretch. And that's something that's kind of been new for this franchise in recent years, but there's one of five guys there and they need to figure out how to get the other four positions to not be a weak link going into next season. And that's still, that's like my biggest worry for this franchise right now, you know, more so than like, What's the long-term future with Daniel Jones? Can he be the franchise quarterback that takes you places that are beyond the playoffs and, you know, into the Super Bowl? It's more like, can they figure out how to get four average to above average players? And even just, even if it's just real average, like not the fake average for the 2022 season, because we're not going to have it for 2021, I don't think. And it's just, it's a bit scary, you know, to hear it from him just because even a team like the Chiefs, like he's talking about, like has been B plus on the offensive line, despite going all in, Tooney to the highest contract ever, you know, getting lucky and nailing Trey Smith, drafting Creed Humphrey, who comes in right away, you know, trading for Orlando Brown Jr., all of those things they've done to improve their line and still at that point. I don't know what, what, what you felt about that and kind of what, what were your thoughts on his Trey Smith eval? Because that that also made me a little pissed, I'll be honest, because the Giants could seriously use Trey Smith right now. Yeah, they could seriously use him. And Giants had of his... Tennessee head coach man on staff so if anybody knows Trey Smith it's Jeremy Pruitt and obviously either the Giants medical team ruled against selecting Trey Smith because of the blood clots and those medical issues that he had throughout his college career or Jeremy Pruitt was like this isn't necessarily the guy you want in the locker room I, I have no idea which one of those two but it has I, think to be it's, I think it's also possible they just love the guys who are on the board for them over over him could be, definitely. Yeah. Like we've referenced on the podcast as well, the coaching hubris of, hey, yeah. you know, have our guys, we can get our guys up to speed. I, I find it very questionable that you overlook the interior offensive line and, and select a third string running back who can <laughs> do things on special teams for you. I get Rodarius Williams, you know, you want to kind of, you like that eval, you want to replenish your secondary a little bit, add depth there, but Gary Brightwell, that's, that one's a little bit different for me. Like Trey Smith, I feel like would have, well, especially with all these injuries, a much bigger impact in both of those six-round picks. But that's neither here nor there. But I wanted to pose a question to you, Dan. And I think this is an interesting one because I think all the discussion around Will Hernandez, it's warranted, man. Is he average? I, I can be talked into an average starting guard if we're going to be so you know black and white and kind of simplify everything. I could be talked into that. But who is a better player? Like, who would you rather have if they were the same age and all things considered, right? Justin Pugh or Will Hernandez? Oh, it's got to be Justin Pugh. Has to right? be. But it like, I, feel I don't like... even think it's close. The Pew, the issue with Pugh is always just the injuries. And, and you know, he hasn't really been injured uh, for, for Arizona like he was for the Giants. Just goes to show how, you know, luck-based these injuries are. And, and don't quote me on that because I haven't followed him closely. He probably has been injured and I just don't know about it. But he's not injured this year. <laughs> Whole point bringing it up. It's just, right. I feel like Justin Pugh, because he was a first round pick in 2013, which was an historically bad class. A lot of people kind of was like, Oh, he never really lived up to it. You know, he tried playing tackle. He was like, played tackle a little bit, kicked inside as well, had that kind of versatility, but Will Hernandez picked that 34, man, that, that's essentially a first round pick. And, and you're right, dude. And it's disappointing. Cause I, I had a lot of high hopes for him. I loved what I saw from him at the senior bowl. And I still think there's so much upside, but it just hasn't been realized yet. And I always try to make excuses for him. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, he played next to John Jalapeo for the first couple of years of his career and he never really had a good tackle to, and always find myself making excuses. And I can see it, man, him leaving the giants as a 26 year old free agent going to another team and then being that above average to good starting guard. And I'm going to be pretty pissed about it, bro. 
It's possible, but I don't think it's like a lock thing. And that's kind of what it comes down to. Like, I think as far as the Giants go, like you could be good with Will Hernandez as maybe the worst player on your offensive line, but that's not where they're at right now. And and like, that's not what they'd have to pay him, I don't think. And so it's bring it's a tough, it's going to be a tough spot because they don't really have, they haven't given themselves any options. There's no Trey Smith on this roster, right? There's no day three pick that they've groomed besides Shane Lemieux. There's no day three pick they've groomed to try to like, develop and become a quality average like we call it average start on the line they just haven't taken enough swings there uh through the draft despite having you know a, a plethora of draft capital i mean it's 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 almost a joke the draft capital this this map this regime has had over the four years when you consider the extra pick the fact they traded for <laughs> with the odell the fact they traded for another the fact that three of these were what two four and six in every round, two, four, and six. Like, no teams had anywhere close to that. And you could be taking quality guys. They've taken a lot of D-backs with those picks, and that's fine. That's all good and well. Their strategy was to kind of build out this secondary and win with pass coverage. But ultimately, NFL, man, you just can't win without an offensive line, and this is where they're at with their offensive line. Like you said yesterday on the podcast, like, they're probably, like, looking long-term with Bredesen. Like, he hasn't shown well yet, but they probably had a solid eval on him. You know, so did the Ravens, which are a good drafting team. He was a fourth-round pick. We kind of liked him, too, in the draft, even though he hasn't shown it yet. Maybe he's someone who can develop. You just don't know. It's possible that they can go into next year, I guess, with, like, him, Lemieux, and a draft pick or something like that, or two draft picks because they're going to have to fill center as well um, somehow, some way. I don't know how they're going to do that. Maybe maybe it's Skira who kicks inside. It's just it's – it's a whole mess right now. And it's just – it was interesting to hear an offensive lineman's Someone who's actually played the position kind of talk about just the importance of not having these weak links. And I just, man, I don't know, man. I've, I, I'm at a bad spot with this offensive line. I've never felt more hopeless about an offensive line with the Giants. Even the, the final years of Jerry, like the final year of Jerry Reese, even at that point, at least they had, you know, cap space for the next offseason if they wanted to try to make a swing in, on the offensive line. They don't have that for this next offseason. And, you know, at the same time, at least they had somewhat of a semblance of, I guess balance and not consistency, but close to consistency on the interior offensive line, despite having those god awful tackles and flowers and heart. They don't really have any any of that except for Andrew Thomas right now. There's no one I can count on for next season or even for the remainder of this year. I mean, they're two and five. They're still able to make a run for this wild card if their offensive line can get things together. And it's going to be a really interesting test this week. So let's talk about that because. This is not a great Chiefs defensive line right now. They have injuries. They're not getting pressure up front. This is not a good Chiefs secondary. This is not a good Chiefs defense. They're not playing with confidence, and they have communication breakdowns. Can the Giants find a way to take advantage of a bad Chiefs defense? Because that's what it comes down to, and I think that's what, you know, that's the offensive line this week, Nick. Like, the Chiefs have allowed the most yards per play in the entire NFL, the third most yards per pass, and the fourth most yards after the catch. That tells me the team is bad at tackling, bad at spatial awareness on defense, really bad against the pass. Um, and then they have the fourth worst red zone defense, which goes up against, obviously, the Giants' dead last red zone offense. So I know there's a lot of excuses for Daniel Jones, including the offensive line, and they're valid, but the Giants need to be putting up points in this game. They really need to be putting up points if they want to convince me they're a team that can make a wild card run. Do you feel like they're going to be able to put up points in this game? 
put up points, man, I'd feel a lot better about it if Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard, and Saquon Barkley. <laughs> it just gets ridiculous because as I go through my mind, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that guy, yeah, and then that guy, and that one too. But seriously, I, I think, especially Kadarius Tony for whatever reason, I think a fully healthy Kadarius Tony would really eat this matchup up, and it would be awesome to kind of have him be showcased on primetime television in front of everybody because I don't think the rest of the league kind of recognizes the unique skill set that someone like Kadarius Tony has, and that matchup would be primed for him. But you're going to have to, I think, even be a little bit creative, especially if you have a healthy Chris Jones and Frank Clark, what the Chiefs have right now. Chris Jones missed a couple games earlier this season, but he returned against Tennessee. It didn't necessarily help him against Tennessee, but the Giants are in Tennessee. So can they score points against the Chiefs? Yes. Can they score enough points? That's where I'm a little worried because I can see the Chiefs kind of clicking. You know, you're back at Arrowhead. They start throwing some touchdown passes, get up to an early, you know, 17 to three lead. And then you just got to put the ball in Daniel Jones' hands and say, figure it out with all of those. Colin Johnson's and Dante Pettis's of the world. And that's similar to what happened against the Rams. And that's where Daniel Jones made some mistakes. So I hope that game script isn't similar. You know what I'm saying? I hope that it's not the same thing as what we saw two weeks ago. And I don't know if the Giants defense, which showed up last week, is going to be able to prevent Patrick Mahomes, even though he's not playing well right now, from going out in prime time and scoring a crap load of points, which is just going to put a lot of stress on Daniel Jones in the offense without all of those weapons. Yeah, I mean, I think you're kind of onto it here, Nick. I'm as worried as you are. I mean, I know there's a lot of confidence in the Giants fan base that they can maybe pull this upset off. Vegas doesn't agree. The Giants are 10-point underdogs in this game. And I think the matchup just isn't excellent for the Giants. Patrick Mahomes has been exponentially better this year against zone coverage and man coverage. I'm talking about 70% completion rate for zone, 59 versus man. 8.1 yards per attempt for zone, 6.9 versus man. 6 to 4 TD to uh, versus zone, 4 to 3 versus man. And then a big jump in his quarterback rating. Giants play zone on 75% of their snaps this year. And I just don't, and that's seventh most in the NFL. And I just don't know if Patrick Graham feels confident right now in doing anything else. He's tried bouts of man this year, and it just hasn't really worked out the way the Giants have wanted to. Last game was really the first time they really found success as a defense. And like you even talked about, they played a ton of cover th- you know, cover six, cover four, cover three, different kinds of zone coverages to slow down Sam Darnold. That isn't going to work against Patrick Mahomes unless, as Joe mentioned, we can get pressure with the front four. But I'm just not so sure we're going to get pressure with the front four versus this offensive line. Um, it, it was different against Carolina, their beat-up offensive line. And like you said, if the game sort gets out of hand, it's going to be tough because despite the fact the Chiefs haven't played well, the Giants really haven't shown anything on offense since Andrew Thomas's injury. Like nothing that I've been like, this can be replicated. They had some, a couple like trick plays last week. They found a way to move the ball a little bit through the air. Not really, mostly in the short game, a couple runs that sparked them, a couple Daniel Jones runs. And like we talked about Nick, they, you know, they max protect, they, they double chipped on six of their third downs. they, move the pocket they did on 16 plays they this is not really sustainable offense it can be one game plan it can work for sure especially against a super aggressive coordinator like phil snow and i'm not saying spags won't be aggressive but i can totally see spags coming out and being like i'm not gonna play this aggressively i have no need to and it's gonna be tough for the giants to move the ball if they fall behind i don't really see the giants defense slowing i think that this will be a get right game for the chiefs offense it's really going to come down to for me if the giants can stay competitive their offense and like it reminds me a lot nick of that tampa bay game uh from last year on monday night football the giants i think will have big opportunities in the passing game but it's going to come down to daniel jones connecting on them despite what's likely to be a lot of pressure because garrett's going to have to call deep deeper concepts in this game there's no doubt about it in my mind he cannot come into this one with the same game plan would you agree with that 
I would agree with that. It's going to be very difficult. And the reason you were able to do that last week was because you had Sam Darnold as the quarterback on the opposite right. side of the football, man. You could, you could, you know, just control the clock like they, they did and just sit on your five to three lead that the Giants had. <laughs> like, it seemed like the Giants did that for an extended period of time last week. And I felt comfortable too. I'm like, yeah, this is a gross five to three lead, but Carolina sucks. I'm, Patrick Mahomes does not suck, and I know he's struggling right now, but this this is a for me, man, and I hate to say it, this is a get-right game for the Chiefs offense. Yeah, and it's not really like he's even struggling. He had one bad game. Like, he's been putting up points, and they've been putting up points every game besides this last one. Yeah. So I don't really see the Giants as a team that's going to – like, the Titans have Harold Landry. Harold Landry had an unbelievable game last game. I could say Aziz is coming up, but I don't know if he's guaranteed to have that type of game like that Landry had. And that's what the Giants are going to need. They're going to need someone to terrorize Orlando Brown. Not that he's even lined up on that side for most of the snaps, but they're going to have to terrorize those tackles. Like for Orlando Brown Jr. had a bad game last game. Well, somebody has to build on that for the Giants. Someone has to expose that, you know? And on the interior, I think they're just so much more set there. It's not like the Titans are really generating that much of an interior push. And that's where the Giants' supposed best pass rusher is in in Leonard Williams. Um, And so – I don't know. I just, I just don't feel like this matchup is as good as giant. Some giants fans I've seen really, really feel like uh, we'll have to see. I mean, I'm hoping the offense surprises me, Nick. I, I don't know how, I don't know with this offensive line, but I'm hoping they find a way because they're not going to get away with just moving the pocket and trying to grind out a five, three win. Like you said. No, absolutely not. It's uh, in the back home, man. And that, that can't be like, there's something about obviously being home, and there's something yeah. about playing in prime time where, where these where these star quarterbacks like like take Aaron Rodgers for instance he's playing on Thursday night football he's not going to be he's going to be without Devontae Adams he's going to be without Alan Lazard he's in a really really tough matchup but I don't know man I, like I look at Aaron Rodgers I'm like I, I just still feel like he's going to figure it out I don't think the Packers are going to win that football game I think the Arizona Cardinals will beat them but like do you see Aaron Rodgers looking like crap in front of like everybody <laughs> no, I just I'm I kind of feel the same way about Pat Mahomes, man. And let's not forget, and I know this is a great moment that the Giants got to win and in the, the fan base. We all, we all have a uh, pretty good expectations and all that. And everything's, uh, you know, kind of um, glass half full right now, but just a week ago, it wasn't. <laughs> and now you're facing Patrick Mahomes, arguably the best quarterback prospect or best quarterback. I should say that we've seen, in I don't even know how long possibly ever excluding yep. Tom Brady. Yeah, excluding Brady, of course. Um, all right, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully the Giants can be competitive in this one. Imagine if they somehow pull off a win at 3-5, and five, they'll put themselves right back into the conversation for that final wild card spot um, down the line. We'll see. The schedule doesn't really get too much easier anytime soon, but, you know, eventually they get the Philly. They, they get the they get the pair of games against the Eagles, so that'll be nice, nice get-right spots for the Giants at some point. We'll see what happens. Hopefully they can compete. All right, Nick, anything else on this game? Nah, man, let's uh, wait for Monday night, baby. Yep. All right, go Giants, and thanks again to Joe for joining us. For everybody else, please, please follow us on Twitter, on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. Head over to iTunes, leave us a rating, review, five stars, please. Um, and if you have questions for us, send them in there or tweet at us. We're going to do a mailbag pod soon, probably, uh, definitely at the bye week, but maybe before. So thanks again to everybody tuning in. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. 
and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.